0: Today's episode of the Hammersley Inquisition is brought to you by Lion Tamers. Now if you're like me, you're always looking for a little something extra in the bedroom. That's right, just because you're getting a little older doesn't mean you can't still get it done the way you used to. You've seen and heard the advertisements for all the male supplements out there promising youthful verve and tumescence without the hassle of embarrassing appointments or trained medical oversight. Friends, these products constitute a marvel of modern science. What happens when you've partaken in this medical miracle and you're suddenly called into a big meeting with the boss? Or Saturday night leads a little too quickly into Sunday services? Don't let your personal pleasure enhancement make a scandal of your child's dance recital or that Boy Scout event. For that peace of mind, you need Lion Tamers. Not only does it restore your body to its familiar state of benign impotence, it really makes you think about what you've become, evoking the anxiety and self-doubt that makes you who you are and keeps you in your place, mindlessly productive once again. Lion Tamers is based on a formula designed by the government and tested on real human prisoners, so you can be confident you'll be feeling less confident in no time. Who needs doctors? Not you, apparently. So act today! Go to tamers.com, that's T-A-M-E-R-Z.com, and enter the promo code HAMMER. For a special bonus kit that includes a copy of the King James Bible. Try it today. Soothe that savage uncontrollable sweating beast. Tame the beast with lion tamers. Hello friends and foes and everyone out there listening by accident. This is the Hammersley Inquisition, the world's most self-indulgent interview podcast, a distinction that grows bolder and bolder every day. For those of you who have never listened uh, to an episode before or haven't listened to the first episode specifically, my purpose, my goal with this podcast is to devote a solid 45 to 90 minutes to talking uh, with the people that I care about who I think are awesome. And it stands to reason – that these are the people that I know best and the people who know me best. Uh, Although I'm a 44, 45, I'm a 45 year old man. And you might've noticed that uh, most of the folks I've been talking to are friends that I made more than 20 years ago. Um, You know, incidentally, I used to have a a, a simple two prong test for determining if I knew a person. Well, prong one was, uh, did I know that person's middle name? And prong two, would I recognize their handwriting? Uh, I, th- I used to think that you had to go two for two to pass that test. But, you know, memories fade. People don't often use their middle names uh, or initials. Uh, email obviously has obliterated handwriting from most of our personal interactions. And so I've, I'm forced to wonder, do I really know anyone anymore? Does anyone know me? Do you know who I am? You know, I, I seriously, I, I wonder sometimes if, if anyone outside of my immediate family really knows me anymore based on that criteria. And the simple hypothesis that I sometimes come back to is that I have trouble making new friends, which is why so many of folks I'm talking to are old friends. This extremely insular podcast certainly isn't going to help that cause. But since you're listening to this and probably getting to know me all over again, I, I might as well tell you. My middle name is Wesley, and my handwriting has been described as playfully aggressive yet highly legible. In contrast, my guest today might be described as aggressively legible and playfully high in a high-on-life kind of way. My college friend and erstwhile volleyball teammate, Sarah. Sarah, say hello to the world. Hello, world. Uh, So let's go right into the questions and tangents and answers, shall we? Sounds good. Questions, and answers. Speaking of names, can you please state your full name for the record?
1: Yes, I have four names. My first name is Sarah, and then Kate, Benton, Kent. I don't ever like to get rid of things, so when I got married, I just tacked my married name on the end of it. So instead of being SKB, I was SKBK.
0: So you're sort of a pack rat when it comes to names.
1: I've never really thought of it in those terms, but I guess I, you know, if the shoe fits.
0: And that's Sarah with an H, right?
1: Thank you, Jason. I am so glad you remember that.
0: So your email name is Sarah Benton Kent. So you made a conscious choice not to include the Kate.
1: Did I do that? I mean, I still use Sarah K. Benton at Yahoo.com because it's too hard to change everything over. But I guess maybe I do. Yeah, I didn't even realize I did that. I guess I should change it. What is the name
0: on your driver's license?
1: Uh, It is Kent comma Sarah Kate Benton and my passport, too.
0: How do you sign checks and other documents?
1: Oh, you caught me. I just say Sarah Kent.
0: Okay. well, you know, a lot of times when we're writing checks, you know, we don't want to spend a lot of time doing it. So I understand taking a shortcut there. What name do you give to baristas? (laughs)
1: Uh, I usually just say Sarah, unless I'm ordering something with Graham, my husband, and then we would just say Kent, because it works for both of us.
0: Okay, so, but when you're going solo, you use Sarah, and when you get the the cut back, how often would you say they include the H?
1: Oh, almost never. Mm. It's odd, because Sarah with an H is, you know, the proper biblical spelling and way more common, statistically speaking but people just like to spell it with four letters because I guess it's easier. I don't know.
0: Maybe they're just saving time. That could be. When you go to a party and you don't really know anyone there and you introduce yourself, how do you introduce yourself?
1: I don't really remember anything from the before times. (laughs) I can tell you the last time I was at a party. All
0: right. Well, let's say say you had to come to Washington, D.C., uh, to testify before Congress, how would you introduce yourself to the president?
1: Uh, I would just say Sarah Kent. I just okay. use first and last name when it's not relevant to the story.
0: And do your kids call you Sarah Kent or just Sarah?
1: Most of the time they call me mom, although I will say that Willow, my oldest, has calls me Sarah when they want to get my attention because <laughs> it works faster. <laughs> and does it? it? It does work faster. Yeah, I'm much more likely to respond to Sarah than to mom, because, you know, even though you love your children, they like they ask for things so incessantly and so frequently that you can kind of tune out the mom until you hear it the third time. So, yeah, Sarah does kind of cut through the fuss.
0: I guess I, I, I understand the the principle that you're talking about that it's unusual and so it catches your attention. But it also seems sort of counterintuitive because you would think like mom is like the bat signal. Everyone stops and you know- Yeah, it's, but if it's, you've
1: ever been like at a playground where there's lots of kids, like you hear mom so often uh, and usually it's not for you. So like even at home, I sometimes tune it out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, so I thought it was very profound what you said around the time of your wedding when you were mulling over whether to change your name. This always stuck with me. You said, I can either have my husband's name or my father's name. Do you think you'll take your second husband's name?
1: (laughs) Good one. Uh, I am planning to stick with this one as long as I can.
0: Okay, But but...
1: Say that I did get divorced or widowed or, you know...
0: Yeah, let's just say that a vending machine falls on Graham.
1: Right. I think I would. Wait, what? Um. Okay. I think I would probably not, because I think I would just stick with the same name as my kids. Mm,
0: okay. Yeah.
1: So that we still felt like a family. Not that you have to have the same names to, to be a family. You absolutely don't. But like my family does, and I kind of like that.
0: Okay. So you were born on Leap Day, and uh, perhaps because of that, you have a fascination with the number four. Is that right? I so do. What's the deal there?
1: Well, I read an article in the New York Times about this many years ago, and apparently it's a thing that's not just me. Like, it's actual, like, a lot of leap day babies have a fascination with the number four. And, like, the theory is that it's about the fact that we only have a birthday every four years. But for me, I've just, ever since I was a little kid, I've always had things happen to me in fours or, like everything seemed to revolve around the number four in one way or another, and I've just always felt this strong affinity for it. So much so that this is a small tangent, but um, today we took um, my wedding band in to be repaired and resized and fixed, and it has three tiny little um, sapphires in it, and One of the things we're having them quote out for us is whether or not they could add a fourth one. And this, I kid you not, this was actually a question for me. My engagement ring has a Sapphire in it. And I was like, well, if I wear them together, that's four. And so then if I wear them alone, it's only three on the wedding band. And should I get a fourth one in it? But then it would be five if I wear them together. Like literally this has plagued me for the past 15 years.
0: Hmm. You know, I, I, I use you to remember what, the symbol is above the number four on the keyboard because the four is associated with the dollar sign. And I know how (laughs) much you love, I know how much you love money. So I, that's how I always remember.
1: Uh, You remember my middle name, (laughs) but not much. I don't love money. Interesting.
0: uh, What would you say are your top five favorite numbers?
1: Oh gosh.
0: Should I tell you mine?
1: Yeah, that would help.
0: All right. Uh, my number one is 11. Number two is two. Number three is one. Number four is five. And number five is 22.
1: All right. Are you going to tell us why?
0: I mean, I can. The number 11 has always been, well, not always, but I made a decision, you know, at least 10, 20 years ago that 11 was my uh, favorite number. One reason is because when I wear it, on sports uniforms, I find that the vertical lines are slimming, so I like it for that reason. Also, it's a prime number, and I like prime numbers, but it has visual symmetry, you get uh, both vertical and horizontal symmetry. Uh, I was born in November, which is the 11th month, and when you put the one and one together, when you add the one and one from the 11 together, that's two, which is my second favorite number, but I was born on the 22nd, which is two twos right. so that's my favorite uh, that's why number 11 and i I've, i explained why two is my uh yeah, yeah. my second favorite number also because you know i just like the idea of uh couplehood you know i'm a monogamist uh number three is one because uh i love that song one is the loneliest number right. uh by harry Nilsson. uh number four is five uh because jessica's favorite number my wife's favorite number is Five And uh, number five is 22, because I was born on the 22nd.
1: I like it. I like it. I think I really only have the one favorite number. I I will say that I was really pretty happy when I turned 44, because I was two fours, and like, what's better than one four? Two fours. And, Hmm. you know, like, often if I have to use a four-digit code for something, I'll just use four, 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 four. I'm not giving anybody any passcodes or anything like that, but
0: anyway. When we met, you were working on the copy desk at the University of Rochester Campus Times newspaper, uh, where you would be a fixture as an editor for the following three years, which is one reason why I think I probably will never forget your handwriting. I remember (laughs) that you had an an almost preternatural command of grammar and style. So when did you realize that you had a gift for telling people that they were wrong?
1: (laughs) Well, I think... I think that those might actually be two separate skill sets of mine, like the, the copy editing and the grammar and the telling people they're wrong.
0: Um, but Yes, yes. But when combined, they are powerful. Indeed.
1: Well, the, I mean, do you want to know the story of how I got to be good at grammar or is that not really the point of this question?
0: No, I mean, this conversation is all about learning about you. All right. Let's hear that story.
1: So, so yeah, in, Seventh grade, we had to learn the 42 prepositions in alphabetical order, and I can still do it.
0: Did you use like a mnemonic device or a song or how did you do that?
1: I learned, I just, I learned, I learned how to say it and I memorized how to say it. And I I don't think that I could write them down out of order, but in order, I can still do it.
0: (laughs) Okay, hit me.
1: All right. About, above, across, after, against, along, among, around, at, before, behind, below, beneath, beside, between, beyond, but, by, during, down, during, or from, in, inside, into, like, near, past, through, to, toward, passed, through, to, toward, under, until, up, with. Oh, I think I forgot out and outside. Man, I haven't said it out loud in so long. I think I did it wrong. But anyway, you get the idea.
0: Uh, no one's going to call you on that, believe me. Right. Well, I mean, that is a, a remarkable Tonight Show-worthy skill but i mean it's not it's not everything it's not the explanation you were looking
1: out. for so then yeah. in high school we actually had to choose which we got to choose which english classes we wanted to take and i took one called lug which stands for language usage and grammar and dude we actually like diagrammed sentences and stuff like all day every day for a year i took this class and i loved it so much and i learned so much and i just really like dug into, like, the geekiness factor of words. And then in, co- at, in college at the U of R, I actually took, um, crap, what's the study of words? Linguistics. Linguistics, there we go. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the class I took, but I took
0: I, I took a few of those classes
1: myself. Yeah, I took a linguistics class, and I also just really, really liked that. So if I had ended up doing something cerebral with my time, As a grown up, I probably would have gone into linguistics because I just have always really liked it. And I liked learning about other languages, too. Right. Like I speak Spanish and Mm -hmm. having a really good foundation in English, I think, helped me with learning Spanish also.
0: Well, uh, you've known me for a long time now, and I appreciate that while you were always willing to uh, tell me that I had done or said something dumb or was being (laughs) was being dumb, you never actually said I was dumb Per se, like it was a permanent state of being. So, oh,
1: yeah, because you're totally not dumb. And I mean, I hope you didn't think that I thought you were dumb, because I definitely didn't and don't.
0: No, never, not on a permanent basis. But uh, on those times when I respect your judgment so much, uh, especially when it comes to grammar, that when I, uh, when you did have occasion to call me dumb, It really stung and it was like, helped me to grow and be a better person. So I appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. I guess I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) You're welcome is appropriate. All right. So, uh, you are a vegetarian or vegan, which one?
1: Uh, I am vegetarian. I, I do eat eggs, so I am not vegan. Um, but I, I don't do dairy anymore. I, um, Grew up in Wisconsin and ate my lifetime's allotment of cheese and ice cream by the time I was about 30. And um, now I can no longer tolerate it at all. So,
0: Like biologically, you can't tolerate it or I, I'm yeah, not going to put go up with into, it anymore.
1: We don't need to go into too much detail. But yeah, let's say biologically speaking, I cannot tolerate dairy anymore.
0: OK. Uh, setting dairy aside, as loath as I am to do that, does your position come from like an animal cruelty on your position on meat? Does it come from like an animal cruelty point of view, or is it about ecology, or more of a personal health thing?
1: Yeah, all kind of all the above. So for me, it started when I was four. Uh, getting back yeah. to number four again, but uh, yeah, I the story goes. Of course, I don't remember this, but this is the story I've been told. Is that uh, I we were on a camping trip, and I asked my parents where meat come from, came from, and they told me, much to their credit, and I said. Oh my God, that's disgusting. I'm never eating this ever again. And, you know, anyone who knows me as well as you do, Jason, knows that I am pretty stubborn. And so I didn't eat meat ever again, not on purpose. Uh, There were a few times um, when my stepmother was still getting to know me and understand what this whole vegetarianism thing is, that she, you know, wanted me to try the thing that had the meat in it, just like she made her own kids try spinach. And I tried to explain that there was a difference between not liking spinach and not wanting to eat shrimp as an ethical choice, but it didn't really land. And so I did have to try meat a few times. But, um, yeah, I've not intentionally eaten meat in – I'm about to turn 46, so 42 years.
0: So with regard to cruelty, can you imagine uh, there being an animal whose behavior is so abhorrent that you would eat them, like Ted Cruz, for example?
1: No, I it's like a visceral thing for me. I'll give you another example. When I lived in Mexico for a short time, I studied abroad in Oaxaca for a month um in the summer of I think two thousand two. Anyway, I uh was offered um chicatanas, which are these um a salsa with chicatanas in it, which are these flying ants. Um mm-hmm. that are like a delicacy there. And then also chapulines, which are um, like these grasshoppers, basically that they boil and then um, fry and season. And they're they're served like a snack, like you would buy peanuts at a baseball game. Like you can buy these anywhere in any market. And I kept, you know, politely declining and saying I'm vegetarian. And they were like, wait, insects aren't animals. And I was like, (laughs) well, they have a face. (laughs) Like I, I never really had interrogated my beliefs quite that clearly, but yeah, I I don't like to eat animals. Anything that has a mother or a face, I don't know.
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and state subjectively that I think fried chicken is delicious because that doesn't really foster yeah, I <laughs> dialogue. Um, I think vegetarians, honestly, I think they have a really compelling argument, and uh, maybe it is a, a black and white issue. You know, we all draw our lines in the sand. It's just that uh, on my side of the line are pulled pork sandwiches. So, you know, to each their own.
1: Totally fair.
0: Along those lines, I've always known you to be a a passionate advocate for progressive causes, especially those that that benefit the marginalized and the downtrodden. My understanding is that the term social justice warrior is seen as a a pejorative term, which I suppose makes sense if you think that most progressives are anti-war. What term would you prefer? How would you describe your political outlook?
1: Interesting question. Yeah, I mean, I know when people say social justice warrior, they mean it pejoratively. And I certainly would never, you know, call myself a warrior for any cause. But I, I guess I progressive to me sums it up pretty well. Like I try to move toward progress on all the issues. And when I know better, I can do better. And I'm very open to changing my mind about things. Because while I try really hard to think about everything that I can, like you can't preempt everything. And sometimes life throws you a curveball, and you have to figure it out. And you see where your growing edges are, and then you make the best of it.
0: Mm -hmm. You did describe yourself as stubborn, though.
1: For sure. But I'm stubborn about defending the things I believe in which are usually thoughtfully come to right like I try okay. to try to once I really feel like I have a handle on something I'm pretty uh stubborn about defending it right like th- with the vegetarian thing that was my example of stubbornness right like I felt pretty strongly that I didn't want to eat animals and I understand why other people do and well you know I wish the people would maybe eat a little bit less I'm not gonna like not talk to someone because they eat meat. My husband eats meat, but I'm not going to do it, even if the world tells me I should. That's what I mean by stubbornness.
0: Well, I also happen to know that you're, you're very deeply concerned about women's equality in the workplace and in society. Are you familiar with the term mansplaining? Yes. You see, Sarah, mansplaining is the tendency of a man to speak condescendingly to someone, especially a woman, about something he has incomplete knowledge of, with the mistaken assumption that he knows more about it than the person that he's talking to does.
1: That was so well exampled there. Well done.
0: And, you know, I think it's just a classic encapsulation of the practical limits of, of feminism. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what, what does feminism mean to you? I mean to me, I subscribe to the formal definition with that being an interdisciplinary approach to issues of equality and equity based on gender, gender expression, gender identity, sex, and sexuality as understood through social theories and political activism.
1: Uh that sounds about right. I mean
0: And by I political to, I mean, you know, relating to or concerned with the making is distinguished from the administration of governmental policy coming from <laughs> the Latin politicus. See also politician.
1: Got it. Don't you agree? Uh, back Wouldn't to your you agree question about what I think of as a definition, I would say that like feminism's radical notion that women are people too kind of gets to the. You know, I didn't come up with that. Obviously, it's like a bumper sticker and stuff, but like that pretty much encapsulates. It's true. What I think of it's it. true.
0: Women are people too. I have two of them in my house. <laughs> you were, perhaps, still are an X Files super fan. And one of the shibboleths of that show is I Want to Believe. So I'm going to list some things, and I want you to tell me if you believe in them, okay?
1: Okay.
0: Ready? Aliens uh, in the form of intelligent life. Absolutely. Ghosts. Uh, yeah, probably. Werewolves? No. Nah. Angels. Like with the halos and the wings and everything.
1: No, not really. But – but without the angel, without the halos and wings, like that, you can have like a guardian angel in your life, definitely.
0: N- not like you know your your aunt being your your angel. That's not what I mean.
1: Okay, then no.
0: Okay, uh, hell's angels.
1: I mean, I've seen them, so yes. All
0: right, demons, not in the figurative sense.
1: I was gonna say only metaphorically. Uh, no. Uh,
0: Jesus or Jesus.
1: Oh man, we're going deep. Um, no, actually, I I do not ascribe to any uh, religious
0: beliefs. So you don't believe he's the son of God and savior of mankind. Right.
1: Do you I know, believe that a man named Jesus existed who had a you know profound effect on lots of people? Absolutely, but is, I, don't, you know, I don't believe in the concept. No.
0: He was just a, like a really chill cult leader.
1: I did not say that.
0: <laughs> All right, I did. Uh, the Illuminati. No. The Lost City of Atlantis.
1: Oh, man, I really want to believe in that, but I'm going to go with no.
0: Platonic Love. Yes. The Warren Commission Report on the Assassination of President John F. Kennedy.
1: I do believe that exists, yes.
0: (laughs) Do Do you buy into the theory and methodology?
1: I don't know. I mean, I spent a long time as a conspiracy theorist around the Kennedy assassination, and Really? Ultimately, I landed in the place that it doesn't totally matter that much to me what happened. I feel badly about it, but
0: I would have never would have taken you for like an Oliver Stone JFK person.
1: Yeah, I totally was. In fact, in high school, I wrote a story that talked about all the parallels between the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and Kennedy.
0: Oh, like uh, Kennedy's secretary was Lincoln and Lincoln's secretary yes. was Kennedy yeah. and all okay. that stuff?
1: A whole paper about it, yeah.
0: <laughs> every every preposition perfectly placed, I'm sure. Yes. All right. Well, it's now time for the audience's favorite segment, although perhaps not my audience's. This is called Questions from the Listening Audience.
1: All righty. Now for my favorite part of the show. Well, that's a talk to the audience oh god this is always death
0: as always i will pose a few questions from other people's podcasts where listeners have called or written in with questions for those hosts as always sarah as these topics may vary wildly i encourage you to interpret the question in whatever way makes the most sense to you our first question is from the best laid plans podcast which is the product of an extreme type a person named sarah hart Unger. sarah hart unger Uh, a physician and mother of three. And it's all about planning and planning tools from techniques and organizing philosophies to planners and notebooks. Uh, It's really something. Lisa asks, when and how do you plan your weekends? I always struggle to plan these well. So you're busy. You're on the go. You've got two kids. You've got a, a husband, your own stuff to do. How do you organize your weekends?
1: Oh, this is a can of worms being opened right here. Um, The truth is not well. Uh, My husband and I do many things well together and planning is not one of them. Um, I want to plan ahead. I'm always thinking of what's coming next and trying to imagine how we can make everything work. And my husband, Graham, would rather do nothing on the weekends because he works really hard all week and he just wants to chill out and he gets that like we do have to do things but he really doesn't want to and so unless i drive the conversation and the planning nothing happens and it it has been a cause of stress and friction for us for many of the last 22
0: plus years Uh, are weekends uh seen uh by you or by the two of you as family time or is it just like time to get stuff done
1: i mean both to a certain extent right like our kids are a little bit older they're about to turn 10 and about to turn 13 and so like doing stuff with their parents is less exciting to them than it was when they were little and they don't require quite as much constant supervision and entertainment which is great um but then also like it is still important to do things together as a family. So we, we kind of like try to have a balance, you know, we, we've come to this place with it where like Graham understands that I need some things to be planned. And I understand that Graham needs some things to be not planned. And the kids kind of, I you don't know, we have sort of one of each one who really wants things planned and one who would rather do nothing ever. And so we try to honor all of our various personalities and have a, a mix so some weekends will be really busy, and some like this weekend we just don't have anything planned except for this interview with you and, you know, other stuff that's just always there. Yeah,
0: I can imagine it's uh, especially uh, complicated negotiating with with four people, especially when, you know, two of those people are suddenly developing uh, yeah. op- opinions. Um,
1: the thing that we do I, do is we have we have an Outlook calendar that is shared across all devices and. Um, you know, our, our 12, almost 13 year old does have a phone now, um, which helped a lot with the anxiety of them walking to middle school. And our our nine, almost 10 year old does not have a phone, but he has a device that he uses for like listening to music and podcasts and, and meditations and stuff. And so um, we have Outlook on that and uh, we have a shared calendar. And so everybody knows if they choose to look at it, what is on the calendar. And that has saved so much of my, my my mental load of not being the person like when are we doing this why are we doing that where are we you know what's for dinner blah 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 like I don't have to constantly be having my brain borrowed by everyone.
0: I have to say my personality, uh, my tendency is very much like your husband's where I like to not really do anything on the weekends. Very often the only thing I will have scheduled for myself during the fall is setting aside some time to watch football but I am I'm a person who really likes routines and traditions and so one thing that Jessica and I my wife uh, have sort of developed over the years and we just have kept up with it is that uh, we each get a day on the weekends. Uh, where we get to sleep in and the other person has to get up because, of course, uh, you know, our our daughter wakes up at the crack of dawn, doesn't want to sleep in. And so someone needs to, you know, get up with her and make make her breakfast and everything. Um, and so what typically happens is I'll get up with her on Saturdays. We'll make like a big pancake breakfast. Uh, Jessica will get up a couple hours later. We'll take Molly for like uh from like 10 10 30 until 3 30 and then i'll pick up again be responsible for molly and so and then we sort of invert it on saturday where i get to sleep in and then i get my my set, sunday afternoon free and uh i i like that routine and it does a, a good job of sort of uh organizing the weekend because we know what we're doing i i know that jessica feels very frustrated because what ends up happening is that we don't spend a lot of time together on the weekends because we take our our time our free time and then we do with it what we want to do with it instead of like playing board games or going apple picking or whatever it is sure um and so uh So there's a there's some tension there, but I find that the weekends do end up being very organized because we already have this structure and we are very good about having meals all together. So, I, you know, as with everything, my entire life is coordinated around what I'm going to be eating.
1: I mean, isn't everybody? I feel like that's just like the natural way of humans.
0: I think so. Yeah. There's something prehistoric about it, I suppose.
1: Yep. Um, yeah, I get that tension for sure, because, I mean, it the, the desire to have both spontaneity and routine <laughs> is really, like, I like both of those things.
0: The next question is uh, from the Northwest Jeepcast podcast, in which uh, hosts Gary and Gary speak to the fervent passions of a truly niche audience those who buy, build, and modify Jeep automobiles and drive them off-road in the wilderness of the northwestern United States. (laughs) So you used to have a thing for Jeeps, right?
1: I do, yeah. I still really love Jeeps. And I've softened on it a bit, right, because I get the environmental impact and all that kind of stuff. And also, I guess they're not super safe because there's like I don't know, narrow wheelbase and high or something like that, but they're so cute. They're like that perfect combination of like adorable and super rugged that they've just always been really appealing to me. I seem to remember
0: you dreaming of a, a Hunter Green Jeep with round headlights.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know that I was like obsessed with the Hunter Green, but they're round headlights for sure. I don't know why anybody would ever get a Jeep that didn't have round headlights
0: it's it's a very pleasing uh geometric shape uh anyway listener josh asks what is your favorite interior add-on for those long drives on the trails so let's say you're taking a road trip uh you and i took a road trip once from rochester new york to madison wisconsin yeah we did in which i pretty much forced you to do all the driving because i'm scared of expressways
1: but i like driving so it worked
0: I, my my recollection is that you had two requirements: loud music and Mountain Dew. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think I used to eat a lot of pretzel sticks and Twizzlers, also none of which I eat now.
0: <laughs> Man, no dairy, no Twizzlers, no pretzel sticks. No it's Mountain just Dew. Like, I know. It's just like a- a- apples and styrofoam. Um,
1: do not eat styrofoam. It's more like you know nuts and seeds. You know proper bird food.
0: Uh huh. Okay. Well. What do you need in the car to make a trip?
1: I mean, I know you said interior, and I guess it kind of qualifies as both, but I really like a good sunroof in a car. Does that count? Um, Yeah.
0: That's surprising because, you know, we have a sunroof or a moonroof. I'm not sure what the difference is between a sunroof and a moonroof.
1: Oh, I think I know this. I think a moonroof is the kind that just pops open, and then the sunroof is the kind that opens all the way so that you could, like, stick your hand up and feel the air on your hands kind of
0: thing. Oh. Okay. Well, we almost never use ours. So if our if our car didn't have one, I don't think I would ever miss it. But you, uh,
1: you, you think it's important, eh? I think I've always liked them, but especially since I moved to a part of the world where it's dark most of the year, any little bit of light that you can let in is amazing. So even when it's too cold to have it open, I still have, like, the cover pulled off of it so that there's more sunlight, or at least, I mean... Even if it's not sunny, at least there's light, you know, most of the year. Yeah. Summer, when it's like when it's the wind running through my hair, it's back to the whole Jeep idea. Like, I just love the idea. If you have to have a roof on your car, you might as well have it with a sunroof.
0: I mean, yeah, those Jeeps, you can just sort of zip the whole thing off, right?
1: Oh, so great. We we, uh, rented one when we went to Yellowstone in the before times. And it was so amazing to drive around the park, like these big, beautiful vistas, and
0: yeah. Part of my problem with my driving anxiety is that highway driving makes me grip the steering wheel so tightly that my entire body tenses up. So if there was ever a way to like drive in a massage chair with like a cocktail of sedatives and muscle relaxants, you know, I feel like I could do that. But it, it oh, doesn't yeah, sound like it would be totally. it doesn't in sound Arizona. like it would be street legal.
1: Probably the sedative thing isn't a good idea for driving, but I'm totally with you on the massage chair part.
0: Our uh, final question is from the Ask Women podcast, What Women Want, in which a female comic and, quote, professional wing girl, unquote, offer realistically raw and hilarious perspectives on what women actually want in a man. Incidentally... Uh, Given most of the subject matter they discussed, this could definitely also be called the Best Laid Plans podcast, if you get my meaning. Uh, Anyway, since I have from time to time sought your counsel on the topic of female interaction, you are certainly qualified to chime in here. Xavier writes in and says, I'll be honest. I suck ass at flirting. Hell, I don't even know how to flirt. I find that physically I attract beautiful women because I work out religiously and have a muscular athletic build. But when it comes to talking to women, they seem to lose attraction. What's the best way to flirt with women? You want to take a swing at that one, Sarah?
1: Oh, my God. It's been so long since I've thought about that. Uh, I mean, I- Well, you're married, but you're not dead. You might still <laughs> no, flirt. It's true. It's true. I mean, I think treat women uh, with the seriousness that they deserve, but also make them laugh. You know, I've always been attracted to people who can make me laugh. I don't want people who treat me like I am a joke, right? That makes sense. What
0: do you mean by treating you like you're a joke? What's an example of that?
1: That's fair. Um I, I mean like I guess it goes kind of back to the whole like mansplaining thing, but like assume that I have a certain level of competence about whatever the subject is. Don't, you know, assume that you need to explain it to me or that I don't know what I'm talking about. And if, and if you're not sure, you can always just ask like, hey, are, you know, I'm curious about this thing. Are you familiar with that? And then I can tell you. Uh huh. And so like, I, you know, I'm thinking back to the days when like I would, would have been flirting with people. <laughs> I think, I think that would have been a big turnoff. Like if somebody had assumed that I wasn't as intelligent as they were kind of thing. Not that it's a competition, but like just assume a basic level of intellect somehow
0: i'm I'm not getting the sense that that's Xavier's problem here uh, <laughs> yeah i I don't know I mean, you're uh, probably
1: right about that, and I don't have much advice for Xavier, except you know, maybe stop assuming that every woman is attracted to him because of his muscles, like women but are, obviously, obviously women are they're coming human, over but we're to not them. totally shallow. Well, they're
0: they're engaging him for some reason. And then evidently when he opens his mouth, they run away. So that's fair. Something is happening.
1: Sure. And I mean, we, we I think we're generally attracted with our eyes first. Right. And then, you know, if there isn't anything deeper there to hold our attention, then we get bored. Sure. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe he should just work on trying to be a little bit more funny and down to earth.
0: Yeah. OK. I mean, we, we don't we don't obviously know what his problem really is. Maybe he's yeah. dull, maybe he's obnoxious, bad breath, who knows? I, I mean, my uh, relationship advice, uh, such as it is, uh, is sort of old-fashioned and it just boils down to, uh, you know, if you're if you're looking for a relationship, uh, you want to be as much of yourself as possible because my view is that if they don't like who you are, at least it's just going to get rejection right out of the way and you can move on to the next one um and hopefully that person is funny and charming but right. if if they're not then just be yourself and admit that you're not and you know maybe someone is looking for someone to help put them to sleep I don't know yeah, if, okay. if you're looking
1: I 100% agree with that, Jason. I just, I do think it's hard, like, especially when you're young to know who we are, right? So much of who we are and what we believe in morphs and changes as we grow older and like interact with other humans. And so 100% agree, just be yourself and also like have the like grace with yourself to recognize that like who we are changes over time.
0: That's fair. That's totally fair. And if Xavier is really just looking for a hookup then I would suggest he just keep his mouth shut as much as possible. (laughs) So now, actually, it's time for a a word from our sponsor, uh, Sarah. So I'm just going to go through some quick ad copy here.
1: Sounds
0: good. You know, uh, let's let's get your opinion on this. Sarah, what do you think is the worst thing about life? Oh, that's right. It's going to the bathroom. (laughs) Every living thing has to excrete waste. It's a major design flaw, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, it's dirty, it's smelly, but worst of all, it's boring. You're stuck in there for hours with nothing to do. You know, I know I will sometimes come out afterward and people will say, what were you doing in there, Jason? And I'll say nothing. And they'll say, that's unbelievable. I think there might be something wrong. And I'll say, damn right, because it's so dull in there. But Sarah, what if I told you that there was a new service that made evacuation more of a celebration would you say that that's too good to be true yes well be prepared to be amazed because my sponsors the brilliant folks at confederated pulp have come up with the toilet paper of the month club it's a fun and fresh way of livening up your home bathroom experience (laughs) i can tell you're impressed because you're speechless if you sign up for tpmc You get a new toilet paper brand every four weeks, ranging from San Francisco's famous 20-ply ultra-plush to (laughs) 400-thread-count Egyptian paper to Singaporean bamboo. It's like taking your fanny on a year-long trip around the world. The TPMC offers a variety of programs depending on your family size and diet, starting at just $29.99 a month, 24-month minimum. Call to action. You may not be able to avoid spending hour upon hour in the bathroom, but you can at least make the reward worth the wait. Sign up for the Toilet Paper of the Month Club at wipepass.com. That's W I P E P A S S dot com. And tell them Hammersley sent you for a complimentary bonus fiber supplement. At Confederated Pulp, your bottom is their bottom line. All right, back to the show. All right. Uh, actually, it's time for the segment that I call "But seriously."
1: Seriously.
0: This is a segment where we sort of bring down the lights and uh, talk about the talk about stuff that isn't necessarily going to make anybody laugh. Um, and my question to you is: You have been or were. I'm not sure what the right verb tense is there. Uh, for a long time, a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I, I, my understanding is things are, are are changing for you recently. You can maybe go into that. Uh, but my sense is that even though I know a lot of people who have been stay-at-home moms, including my wife for a time, I, I feel like there is a, a sort of a stigma, uh, sometimes a self-imposed stigma about that. I guess, first of all, let me ask you, what went into the choice to be a stay-at-home mom?
1: Yeah, so the, that that last part is easy. So Willow, my oldest kiddo, was born uh, 10 weeks early, um, so they were a 30-weeker, and um, I didn't even get to meet them until they were several hours old because they were— um, And sorry, I should back up. I'm using singular they because Willow identifies as transgender and non-binary. And so we use they as their pronoun. But anyway, getting back to my story, Willow was born uh, 10 weeks early and I didn't get to meet them till they were a few hours old because they were whisked away to be intubated and taken to the NICU, yada, yada, yada. So uh, our introduction to parenting was Really scary. Not that it's not always scary, but it was particularly fraught for us. Um, And our kiddo spent 49 days in the NICU, and we had to, you know, leave them at home uh, or leave them at the hospital and go home every night, um, which just was, I can't think of a radio friendly way to say it. It was just a mind. (laughs) Um, And so we, I had FMLA leave from my job. But I needed to be able to have some time still left over when Willow came home. And so uh-huh. I actually would like go see my kid in the NICU, then go to work, then go back to the NICU and then go to bed. And the same thing over and over and over again for those seven weeks. Um, and so when I when my did, kid did come home from school, I actually asked my job if I could have a extended leave of absence unpaid because I just wasn't ready. And plus our kid needed a lot of care and wasn't able to go to like a daycare and we couldn't afford a nanny and all those things. And so they granted me that. And I took six months. And at the end of the six months, I was like, I don't ever want to leave this kid ever again. I need to quit my job. And so yeah. I had never planned to leave my work. I loved the work I did. It was very taxing emotionally. Um, I worked in um, nonprofit management. Um, I ran a program of Uh, peer support for HIV positive women and and I loved the people I worked with and I loved the work I did um, but I just needed to be with my kid and then you know a couple years later three years later we had another kid and then it kind of snowballed and so I feel like I was always sort of a reluctant stay-at-home mom but it it worked for our family also and I mean this is kind of a deep dive but I suffer from depression and anxiety. And I realized that I was actually less stressed out being at home with my kid and then later my two kids than I had been when I was doing my job. And so it just, it became a conscious choice on our part. And I kind of worried about what to do next. And eventually I ended up, once, once Willow started kindergarten, I ended up volunteering at Willow School quite a bit um and i got really involved at there and they actually hired me to help out in the lunchroom and i was the volunteer coordinator and i did a bunch of stuff kind of i, I basically gave myself a fake job at the school
0: <laughs> and, and your younger child was in daycare at that point
1: the fake job part didn't come until they were both at the school and once they were both in the same school our lives became much more routinized and I was able to spend more time there and so I actually like worked in the PTSA office like as I would go to school at the same time as my kids and leave at the same time as them and just support staff and folks around the the building and so like I didn't have a job but I felt like I did because I was providing a you know meaningful useful service and it was a bummer to not have a paycheck for that I the only part I ever got paid for was working in the lunchroom and that was like you know a hourly job of 10 hours a week. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I were supposed to do this podcast back in late August or early September. I'm not even sure now. And I kind of had a little mini freak out about it because we got a new, I'm not going to use any identifying information. We got a new principal at the elementary school over the summer and she had no interest in working with any of the parents and especially not with me, like really, really did not like me. And I'm not going to go into too much detail about that. Um, but it was really disorienting for me because I've put so much of my effort and like, it's kind of become my like, life's work for the last five or six years of supporting the school. And suddenly I was like, fired from my fake job. <laughs> and there didn't seem to be like, I'm somebody who really likes to have consensus. And, you know, I'm I like to stand up for what I believe in, but I'm also a people pleaser. And so it was super frustrating to me that I could not figure out how to make this person take me seriously. And so I was like at this major crossroads with my life of like, I have to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, because I definitely don't want to go back to nonprofit management, which is what my career was before my kids. And I don't even know like what I want to do. And so I actually am taking prerequisites for nursing school because that's something that I had always thought about pursuing and never really felt like I had the attention span or the focus or the the drive to get done. I'm really excited about it, but it's been a huge, huge change in my focus um, just in the last few months.
0: So it sounds like even though you were a stay-at-home mom for, uh, what, five years? Twelve like years.
1: <laughs> I mean, I haven't had a paying job other than the lunchroom at my kid's school since Willow. Well, I mean,
0: I'm, I'm 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 not counting the uh, volunteer work. I mean, because I th- I think volunteer work is still work. Um, well, yeah,
1: for sure. And so is raising kids, right? Like, well, I mean, it's the it's the hardest sure. job you'll never get paid for, right? Isn't that what some smart person once said?
0: I feel like uh, jail time community service might be bad, but, you know, you know, know, parent parenthood's worse. Parenthood's worse. You're right.
1: I mean, it's true. I am a stay at home mom. I just when you when you first trained that question for me, I was like, oh, man, like, I feel like that's the least interesting thing about me. But I think there's some internalized I don't want to say misogyny, but like internalized prejudice against stay-at-home moms there too because like of course there's nothing wrong with being a stay-at-home mom it's a totally valid choice it just isn't super reflective of how I think of myself because even when I was just and I use just loosely because it's a ton of work but even when I was just taking care of my kids like I was always doing other things too because I've always like building communities always been important to me being an activist has always been important to me like I've always managed to find time to do that stuff, even when I was like in the weeds with parenting, because I needed something that wasn't about my kids to feel like a self.
0: I did not pose the question. I certainly didn't intend to be uh, reductive or I- imply that that was the only thing that was sort of interesting about you or your situation. I- i'm I'm just interested because it's a it's a big choice. and I- I'm interested in the in the choices that people make and and the identities that they they carve out for themselves. And so I I was interested in finding out whether that was an easy choice or a difficult choice, were you ever pressured one way or the other and how you felt about that choice. And it sounds to me like it's it sort of happened inadvertently. You got caught up in the inertia and and now you're at a point where the world is your oyster and you can sort of decide whatever you want to do with your life. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah, that's a great summary. And I totally I mean, like there were lots of parts of it that were so mundane and so boring. And I say this with all love for my children. Right. <laughs> like, I think you can both really adore spending time with your children and be terribly bored by it at the same time. Right. Like, those two things can coexist. And I I. I fell into staying home with my kids as you said sort of accidentally and then I stayed home because I didn't want to not be with them and also because I didn't know what else to do and mm-hmm. I'm being super super vulnerable saying that because I know that it you know your vast listenership could think that I'm a real a- for saying that but like I definitely felt deeply conflicted about it. And people are weird about stay-at-home moms. Like men, women, non-binary people, everybody has an opinion about it. And they all, they either think it's the most amazing, wonderful thing and everyone should do it, or it's the most horrible thing and nobody should do it. And it feels like there's never any nuance. Um, And I mostly had to just shut off that noise and just recognize that this was what was right for our family right now. But yeah, all that's to say, like, it definitely wasn't the intentional choice that you had assumed that it was. it was just like what we ended up doing. And it feels a little bit like a time warp now that I'm like doing this other thing. But I, I don't regret it in any way. It just was all that I could do right then in order to parent my kids the way that I wanted to be able to, like to be present with them. I couldn't be doing a ton of other stuff until they were old enough that I, I had the mental space. And that, that's more about me and like my mental health issues and my just the way that I move through the world requires a lot of focused attention if I'm going to take something seriously.
0: There's uh, one person that both of us know. I'm not going to call them out in the podcast, but she also was a stay at home mom for several years and she used to refer to herself as the uh, household COO. That was yeah. the the title that she gave herself. And I always thought that was... Uh, brilliant way to put it.
1: Yeah. Cause it's a lot of, I mean, and I know that you didn't mean your question in any way to be reductionist and I wasn't offended, but in any way by the question or your language around it, it was just like, it happened at a time that like I was in the process of like trying to figure out what my new identity was going to be. And so it kind of like threw me for a loop where I was like, Oh man, like, ugh, I don't even know what I'm doing. And, um, so I was so pleased that we were able to postpone this until a time when I felt like I knew a little bit more like who I was.
0: Well, and I'm really happy for you that you've uh, you've found a new path and it, it sounds very exciting.
1: Yeah, good I think luck. it's really good. I worked, I worked in an emergency room as a technician for five years when I was trying to finish up college and I really liked that environment. I liked how fast paced it was and how like in the job that I had, you know, I, I wasn't a nurse, but I was an, like an assistant to the nurses. I was able to do a bunch of the clinical stuff, but I also, I was able to just like take people who were in a really like difficult moment in their life and just try to make their day just a teeny bit less shitty than it was. And I really loved that about it. And so I'm, I'm very nervous about my ability to be able to ace these prereqs and get into nursing school and be able to hack it, but I'm going to try because I think it'll be a really good fit for me if I can get through the, the process.
0: All right. We're getting close to the end. It is time for the segment that I call word association because it's word association. Mama, on, baby, word I'm going to say a, a word or phrase and all you need to do is uh, hit me back with the first thing, first word or phrase that jumps into your mind. Are you ready?
1: I'm very nervous about this segment, but I'm I'm gonna take a stab at it.
0: All right. First word is great.
1: Um, I I guess great makes me think of since we're talking being nostalgic, it makes me think of the Great War, you know, World War One.
0: Okay. You're nostalgic for World War One?
1: No, I'm talking about college, which is when I studied that in history. Fair oh. enough. I, I realized I had not made the connection. <laughs> All
0: right. Uh, all right, we're off to a rousing start here. Pieces. Pieces. Heaven. L Very. Good. <laughs> I can just tell the tone of your voice is like, good, you idiot.
1: <laughs> it's totally true. I was making like, that face. Sorry. Yes.
0: Preposition.
1: What? You must have just added that one in. on. The no,
0: box. I had it. I had it. I remembered. And I didn't
1: remember that you knew that.
0: Oh, I totally knew
1: that. That is hilarious. All right. Um, part of speech. Maze. Corn.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I had I spelled it m a z e, but that's cool.
1: Well, it works both ways because corn maze is actually what I was imagining. Oh yeah, cool. Baby. <laughs> I'm going to tell on myself. The first word I thought of was butt, B-U-T-T.
0: <laughs> Umpire. Baseball. Anterior cruciate ligament. Ouch. Last one. Shaft.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just picture shaft and want to start singing the theme song. also makes me think a lot of Adam Glasser
0: yeah sure
1: he was obsessed with Shaft
0: yes well I mean who wasn't okay uh, the final segment is called Yule Apologies listen if you please That, of course, is a portmanteau of eulogy and apologies. So uh, this is a segment where I, I tell you why you're special to me, the important place that you have in my life, and uh, apologize for the ways in which I have wronged you. Uh, so first things first, Sarah, I, I had the great honor of speaking at your wedding reception. And of the many borderline inappropriate things I said in those remarks, I described you as a woman who inspired a crush from every guy who ever met you. And I remember that that particular comment got, uh, you know, one of those, aww, sounds from the uh, collected assembly, who I should note were uh, pretty well lubricated by that point. Uh, (laughs) do do, Do you remember that comment or is the whole thing sort of a blur to you?
1: Oh, no, I absolutely remember that.
0: Okay, so it's not like I necessarily, uh, you know, canvassed all of our friends to verify that theory. But, you know, when I said it, when I wrote it, it felt instinctively true and no one really argued with me about it. So I just sort of ran with it. And, you know, that was sort of uh, it was based mostly on my observations at college. And, you know, your average 20 year old guy will get a, a crush on, you know, A meatball sandwich if you can find them together long enough and your cuteness certainly had something to do with it but i have another theory that i think explains it and you rather neatly so let's look at your best qualities your very best qualities you're you're smart you're tough yet warm you have a good sense of humor true moral compass driven to protect the vulnerable committed to high standards these are the traits that make you more than just a dish at the risk of uh, wading into a weird sort of Freudian area. These are the same traits as a good mother. And it all makes sense when you look at it that way, because a twenty year old dude living away from home is a total mess, you know, just like a like an untethered boat banging against the dock at high tide. They don't know what they're doing. They're just sort of slamming into things. No recognition of consequences, no perspective. And I think that when these 20 year old guys met you and got to know you, they saw someone who could take care of them, you know, and looked like a tasty snack. (laughs) So I, I can't speak for the rest of the boys, but as your friend, I always felt cared about and looked after, even when I I did or said something stupid. You know, when you're that age, what you really need is for someone to look after you, and you did that for me. And I like to think that as a the helpless man child that I was, I helped you practice for the actual job of motherhood that uh, you have come into in this stage of your life. So. Thank you very much for that, and you're welcome.
1: That's so lovely. Thank you for uh, seeing me. Because, of course, like I love taking care of people, and that's part of everything I've always tried to do. And so it's so nice to have that validation that it was meaningful to you, too. And it's going
0: to make you a great nurse, too. So you, thanks. I hope
1: so. I hope you're that, on the right path. Yeah, I think so.
0: So I have two apologies for you. One is m- more serious than the other, but both of them have nagged at me for more than two decades. So the first and most serious one is is when we were on staff at the newspaper at the time, and I was the managing editor. It must have been 1997 or 98. And you came to me and the editor-in-chief at the time – I don't remember exactly who it was because it w- would have been one of two people right. – perhaps on your own, or perhaps you were representing other women in the office, to let us know that the sports editors were prominently displaying a photo of Tyra Banks in a bikini in their nook of the office. And two dozen years later, the most generous interpretation is that it created an uncomfortable work environment for at least one of our co-workers, at least you. And I probably had enough clout at that point that I could have made the right decision or at least swayed in the right direction, but I folded in the moment and I submitted to peer pressure and a lack of empathy and I said that they could keep it up. And I remember that choice now as a warning to myself to listen more carefully to people. So it was a valuable lesson for me, but I can only imagine how frustrated and helpless you must have been walking away from that encounter from that conversation. And so I want to say that I'm sorry and I should have been better and done better, but it still serves as a sort of beacon for me in terms of doing the right thing.
1: Thank you. I, to be honest, I had forgotten about that until you brought it up and I totally remember now. Um, It like opened that little vault, but I mean, to be honest, I don't think that it was super painful at the time. I think it was just kind of par for the course. And like. Well, that's even worse. (laughs) I know. And I get that. But like, that's why I'm saying it's because like, I don't mean from you. I mean, in general, from the world, like stuff like that happened all the time. And if I had been like broken by it, I wouldn't have survived. Right. I'm just saying like. Women in particular, women in general, and me in particular, like dealt with stuff like that all the time. But I appreciate that you learned from it, and that it reminds it serves as a reminder, because that's all I could possibly ask for, right? Like, it wasn't really at the time or now, saying something about something like that isn't about the actual thing. It's about like trying to do the right thing. And that's what you're trying to do now. So that's all I could possibly ask for.
0: And I have to believe that things would be different, now just because of the the tenor of the times which i suppose yeah. is is progress
1: yeah i think so
0: so less momentous and and yet still vivid to me i have to apologize that for something that you were i think not at all aware of or not really aware of <laughs> but i uh i sort of used you once okay. so the summer between my sophomore and junior years of college Uh, As I mentioned, you were spending the summer in Rochester, and I was living at home with my folks, and you and I were hanging out quite a bit, and uh, at the same time, I was forging a tentative and uh, at least initially chaste reconciliation with my ex-girlfriend after a pretty bad breakup the year before. Maybe this is coming into focus for you.
1: Sure, yeah, I remember.
0: And I invited the both of you That summer, to come with me to a Renaissance fair. And I'm I'm fairly confident you remember this. It was, I think, a year before uh, I went to the fair with you and your future husband. Yes. So when we were at the Renaissance fair, you and my ex girlfriend and me, I could tell that my ex girlfriend was uh, a little jealous and curious about who you were and what our relationship was. And since I was the uh, aggrieved party, in our breakup and I was sort of indulging and reveling in that a bit. And she started poking around about it. I may have implied in a very oblique and plausibly (laughs) deniable way that you and I were possibly at one point more than just friends, which let me state for the record. We never were, but I sort of led her to believe that we were, and I swear it was just that one time and in (laughs) service Of a noble and really satisfying cause. So I
1: forgive you. I'm sorry
0: for doing that without your consent.
1: It's okay. I think I kind of knew that. And also I was, uh, I'm totally fine to be uh, used in that service to a good cause like that. No problem.
0: (laughs) I do feel guilty about it. And uh, uh, you should let
1: one go, Jason.
0: I'm sorry for besmirching your honor. Forever suggesting that you were physically attracted to me. <laughs> Thus endeth the Inquisition, Sarah. I do hope it hasn't been too uncomfortable for you.
1: It has not. No, it's been great.
0: Thanks to all listeners out there. If you have any comments, questions, compliments, or complaints, you can reach out at hammerslay at gmail.com. This is a reminder that you can also subscribe to my email newsletter, the Hammerslay Exposition, at buttondown.email. Yes, dot email slash hammerslay main title theme generously provided by jason menkis at Copilot music and sound all opinions and bad jokes are solely my own and do not represent the views of my employer my family my friends and my guests until next time my name is jason Hammersley. i hope i'm pronouncing that right
1: Inquisition, what a show, the Inquisition, here we go, we know you're wishing that we'd go
0: away, but the Inquisition's here and it's here to stay.